We are going to continue our journey into joy this morning by taking another look at the letter of Paul to the Philippians. The second chapter, the first 11 verses, page 951 in your pew Bibles. Probably quite a familiar passage and quite a simple one, really, but also very challenging. The Word of God from Philippians chapter 2, the first 11 verses, page 951. Titled in the NIV, Imitating Christ's Humility. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This river has been a terror to many. Yes, the thought of it has often frightened me too. Those are the trembling words of a character named Mr. Standfast, knee-deep in the Jordan River on his way to heaven. He's a character in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And he has stopped for a moment on his journey into the river to give his testimony. These are the words that Bunyan puts in his mouth. I now see myself at my journey's end. My days of toil are over. I'm going now to see that head that was crowned with thorns and that face that was spit upon for me. I have formerly lived by hearing and by faith, but now I am going to where I will live by sight and will be with him in whose company I delight. I have always loved to hear my Lord spoken of, 
And wherever I have seen the print of his shoe on the earth, I have desired to set my foot too. His name has been to me a priceless treasure, sweeter than all perfumes. His voice has been music to my ears, and I have more earnestly desired to see his face than those who would most desire to see the light of the sun. I have gathered his word, which became my food, and used it as a remedy against fainting along the way. He has held my course steady, and I have forsaken all my sins. Yes, he has strengthened my steps in his way. And then Mr. Standfast turned where he was and looked up to heaven and said, Take me, for I come to you. And he was gone. Right after saying, Wherever I have seen the print of his shoe on the earth, I have desired to set my foot too. It's like what Paul wrote. Let this same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Let him be your example in humility. Into a world of pushing and shoving comes the gospel of giving. Into a world of exclusiveness and prejudice comes a gospel of love. Into this very room comes that gospel. To people like us, with the expectation of Jesus Christ, that we will not only want to, but in fact say what Mr. Standfast said. Wherever I have seen the print of his shoe on this earth, I have desired to set my foot too. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Inspired advice. Inspiring advice. Advice, as it were, at the foot of the cross. Attitude advice. Advice about my attitude and yours. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing. Nothing. Be full of emptiness. Selfish ambition was a term coined long, long ago by Aristotle, who defined it this way, self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. Doesn't sound all that long ago to us, does it? Selfish ambition. But it didn't just happen in ancient Greece. It doesn't just happen in Washington, D.C. It isn't just a threat in Lansing. It's where I live, in my home, in my neighborhood, in my workplace. 
It happens in the classroom where I learn. It, it happens in the boardroom where I vote. It happens in the workroom where I put things together. And it happens even in this room. It happens, selfish ambition does, whenever anybody cares most about what they want and what they think they deserve. And then the body of Christ is injured. Bones in the body of Christ are fractured. Remember what James wrote in his letter to Christians, chapter 3, verse 16. I'm reading it from the message. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at the other's throats. How many fractures in the body of Christ could be avoided altogether or could be set and healed if every one of us did nothing from vain conceit. That word vain conceit comes from a verb in the Greek and it means to hold a false opinion to vainly glory. Literally it means empty glory. How often do you and I find ourselves, I mean we don't set out to do this usually, but we're inclined this way to do whatever good we do in a place, at a time, in a way that can be noticed. And how often don't we get at least mildly irritated and upset when it isn't noticed? That's vain conceit. There's a story that always gets to me. I read it years and years ago. It's simple, it's short. And it probably applies more to me than to you, but it will give you the picture. It happened to John Bunyan, the man who gave us Pilgrim's Progress, the man who wrote the words that Mr. Stanfast spoke. He was also a preacher. And he preached once in one of those European cathedrals. Maybe you've seen them, I have, where the pulpit is way up on the wall. I saw one once that had 24 steps to get up to the pulpit. And he waxed eloquent that day. And when it was over, he climbed down every one of them and walked down the aisle into the back of the church where a parishioner met him and said, Mr. Bunyan, that was just a wonderful sermon. And he said... I know, unfortunately, the devil persuaded me to think the same thing while I was walking down those stairs. Nothing, nothing out of vain conceit. That means filling the void left by the absence of myself and my own self-interests. Filling the void left by pulling myself out of the picture and filling it with love. Here's another illustration. Maybe this one will be more your experience. She was new to the ladies' group at church. 
didn't belong to the church but loved the group and attended meetings faithfully and went to the Christmas gift exchange. And they put all the gifts on the table and everybody picked one. And there was none left when it was her turn. And all of the, the ladies there were embarrassed and chagrined and didn't know quite what to do. And the woman who was new and who got nothing said, don't be upset. Let me show you what I got. And she went into her purse and pulled out a paper bag and opened it up. There was nothing in it. But she reached in and said, you've given me love. You've given me friendship. You've given me acceptance. And for these gifts, I am grateful. Thank you. She who got nothing tangible gave the gift everyone can give. She gave her love and the void was filled. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing. 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 Now that's the negative version of the command. The positive is also here. Not only what we ought not to do, but what, by God's grace, we ought to do. I'll read it from the Amplified Bible. It's just verses 3 and 4. Instead, in the true spirit of humility, lowliness of mind, let each regard the others as better than and superior to himself, thinking more highly of one another than you do of yourselves. Let each of you esteem and look upon and be concerned for not merely his own interests, but also each for the interests of others. We need to be willing to be third. That's one thing. We need to be able to see straight. That's another thing. And we need to look out, not in. And that's a final thing. We'll start with humility. In humility. And let me help us all understand what the word means by saying the very first time that word translated here, humility, appears in the New Testament. It appears in Luke chapter 3, verse 5, where Luke is quoting from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 4. These words you've all heard before. Every valley shall be filled in, and every mountain and hill made low. Literally, every mountain and hill humbled. To be humble is to be made low. To level the mountains, however, is not to make them less than everything else, but it's to equalize things. Now, the Greeks had no use for humility. They figured if you could make it above everybody else, the more the better. To be humble, to be equal, to be level was groveling. The gospel raised humility to the realm of grace. It's having an insight into our own 
insignificance. We're important. To be sure, we're important. Each one of us so important that God decided to send Jesus to live and die and rise for you. But frequently entertaining ideas of ourselves that are too big. Or as Paul put it to the Romans, thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Peter put it this way, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility. Clothe yourselves with humility. Cover yourselves with humility toward one another. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Under God's hand, equal toward others, self-third. And in that humility, then, consider others better than yourselves, is the way that NIV translates it. To consider better is a verb that really means to consider others as having authority over you. What Paul is saying is, when it comes to everybody else, treat them as you would someone in authority, which doesn't mean that what they say always goes, that they're better than you, that they're more valuable than you, that you always come in last, that you're no good, but in the sense in which you would always consider the feelings and the desires and the requests of an authority before your own. It's not think of others as more valuable, it's think of others first. Dietrich Bonhoeffer came up with a list of seven specific principles for eradicating selfish ambition in Christians. Now, you could probably preach a sermon on each one, but I'm just going to mention them. Think about this. Number one, hold your tongue. Just imagine it. If the kids were still up here, they'd do it. But hold your tongue. What a picture. You can't talk. You can't say anything when you hold your tongue. Bonhoeffer said, don't ever say anything uncharitable about anybody. Well, there's a challenge. Number two, cultivate humility. The kind of humility Paul had that found Paul saying, I'm the worst of all sinners. That wasn't just an exaggeration. That's how he saw himself. A sinner saved by grace and in the presence of God, not because he deserved it or was better than others, but only because of God's grace. Same is true for us. Third thing, listen long and patiently. Not just to make sure you got the words right, but listen so you can hear the meaning and understand the person whose words those were. Fourth, don't ever consider your time and your calling too important to be interrupted by anybody else's need no matter how big or how little it may seem to you. Fifth, bear 
the burdens of others. That, that does not mean just read about them in the bulletin. It does not mean just know about them. It does not mean just acknowledge that those burdens are there, but help the person with them in whatever way you can. Number six, declare God's word to that person. And that does not mean go and preach to that person, but share what God says with that person. And number seven, understand that Christian authority is always expressed in service. Service that does not call attention to the one who is serving, but to the service offered and the one to whom it goes. Can you imagine the difference it would make in the church? If each of us were always careful not to offend, not to hurt, not to insult, not to disregard another. Paul says when you see other people that way, you're seeing straight. And each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. There are those who think that Paul's advice to consider others as better than ourselves is a recipe for an inferiority complex. I think we've seen that it is not. And then there are those who think that Paul's advice to look also to the interests of others is an invitation to nosiness and gossip. But it isn't. The word Paul uses looks or means more accurately to look out for, not to look into. And to look out for in the sense of caring about and being careful for and with another. Can you imagine what difference it would make in the church if we all looked out? Not just away from self, but for each other. And by the way, if everybody did that, everybody'd be looked at. Nobody would be missed. Paul concludes, let the same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you which was in Jesus Christ. Let him be your example. You and I are to be what Paul urges. Not just because it's nice. Not just because it's pleasant. Not just because it makes life more tolerable for all of us, though it does all of those things. But first of all and most of all, because that's the way Jesus Christ treated us. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's what he was willing to do so that you and I could have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. But he calls us to that also because we will be giving our testimony through lives that are lived that way. Our testimony to him. We will profess our faith through the way we live and treat each other. We will be professors professing our faith. 
and absent-minded professors at that with self absent from the center of things to make more room for God and those he's called us to love the way he has already loved us. So that someday, knee-deep in the Jordan River, myself, and hopefully long before that, I will find myself saying what Mr. Standfast did. Wherever I have seen the print of his shoe on earth, I have desired to set my foot too. Let's walk today and every day the way Jesus did. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we knew you were born and lived and died and rose and ascended for us. But Paul overwhelms us again with the reality of what that meant for one who is God to become human, to give up that much to show love. Now, Lord Jesus, because of your great power and your amazing grace, enable us to have that same attitude in us which we find in you. And may each of us desire, wherever we see the print of your shoe on this earth, there to put our feet to. In Jesus' name, amen.